0: I will praise the Lord at all times his praise will always be on my lips I will boast in the Lord the humble will hear and be glad Proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me let us exalt his name together I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears Those who look to him are radiant with joy their faces will never be ashamed This poor man and the, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him And saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones fear Yahweh. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come children listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who delights in life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to erase all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saved those crushed in spirit. Many Many adversities come to the one who is righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished.
1: The second reading is Philippians 4, verse 4 to 13, and it's on page 1083. Actually, it's 1082. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and and seen in me and God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. And this is the word of God.
2: Good morning. I'm just getting myself set up. Uh, I'm Simon. If I haven't met you, my name's Simon. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Church by the Bridge, Uh, and it's nice to see you, and Happy New Year to you all. Uh, As you came in this morning, uh, I hope you received a copy of this newsletter, Uh, and on the newsletter is um, an adapted version of the Navigator's Wheel. Um, You can see it there, Living for Jesus, Loving like Jesus, Christ at the centre, and then four... Um, spokes coming out, Bible, fellowship, prayer, evangelism. Uh, over the course of the next over the, of January, we're going to be looking at each of those four spokes. As we seek to grow as mature disciples here at Church by the Bridge, uh, those who are in Christ, who know Jesus, who are known by God through him, uh, with Christ at the centre, we now... Uh, and the four kind of key convictions that flow out of being a Christian, being in Christ, is that we are people of the Word, we love the Bible... We are people who know God and therefore speak to him in prayer. We're people who uh, love hanging out with God's people because they're the people that Jesus loves the most. Uh, And also evangelism, conveying the truth of the scriptures uh, to our world. So over the course of the next few weeks or four weeks, we're looking at each of those uh, spokes. Today, we're looking at prayer. I wonder if you would uh, bow your heads with me as we do just that and pray to our Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Father, we thank you for this new day that you've given for us to sit in your word. Uh, Father, help us to be humble and hear it, uh, Father, and to respond to it rightly. Uh, Father, encourage us, strengthen our faith in Jesus through it, uh, that we might serve him faithfully as we leave here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's no doubt that uh, this can be an anxious time of the year. Uh, In A time in our lives, Christmas is done, New Year is over, and we have another year ahead. There are anxieties, perhaps, at this time about money. Maybe you've spent a little bit too much money at Christmas and New Year. You're anxious about money. Maybe you're anxious about relationships that didn't go so well. Maybe you've got deadlines on the horizon that are already encroaching on your life, all sorts of anxieties. Perhaps your anxieties are about what 2014 might actually be. Maybe you felt okay about 2013, but 2014 is a little bit unknown. You're not sure what's coming your way. It's a bit of a mystery, and it stresses you out, wakes you up at night. And then, of course, for many of us, there's just the stress and anxiety that comes from being a little bit overtired at this time of year. Christmas and New Year and the new year on the horizon. I know when I get tired, I become less resilient, get a little bit more stressed out and anxious. Whatever your trigger for your anxiety, I hope today you're going to find a couple of keys in God's Word to help you overcome your anxiety, your stress, your uncertainties. Before I do give you two keys though, I'd like to offer you two caveats before we get to the two keys. So the first caveat is this, when we come to talking about anxiety and stress related to anxiety, I'm not talking about clinically diagnosed anxiety disorders. I don't want you to think that this sermon is going to have some kind of quick fix for your disorder today. I know most of you don't think highly enough of me to think that's even possible, but some of you might, Um, but please know that's not the case. Uh, Anxiety is a huge issue in our country. From 1997 to 2007, the rate of anxiety disorder diagnosis has risen exponentially. Uh, Beyond Blue, the great website and great association that helps people struggling with mental illness says that one in three women and one in five women will be diagnosed, will suffer from anxiety at some point for some time in their life. Our teens are not immune. Teen anxiety is on the rise, and one of the culprits is connection and device addiction. The obsession with our devices, always needing to be in touch and checking our status update, that little hit of adrenaline each time you check your phone just raises the anxiety. I think there'll be some good stuff in this sermon, even for someone suffering an anxiety disorder, but let me be clear up front, there's no fix here. I'm sure the Lord would much rather you get your medications right than listen to this sermon. Caveat number one. Caveat number two, perhaps just as important as caveat number one, is this. Anxiety is not inherently wrong. Of course, anxiety can be sinful, can't it? For example, if you're anxious about doing someone in, if you're anxious to get rich at all costs, if you're anxious for revenge, well, anxiety is pretty wicked at that point, isn't it? But ordinary anxiety is not wrong. And the reason I want to say that up front is that some people can look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and I hope you have it open in front of you Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, and get anxious. Because Paul the Apostle writes in verse 6 don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. And therefore, the anxiety is that you're now disobeying because you're feeling anxious. I mean, it's a command from God, don't worry about anything. Then you have anxiety because you think, well, I'm disobeying. If anyone has anxiety and reads this command, not to be anxious, well, read this command, not be anxious, and as result will become more anxious. It's this kind of terrible cycle that happens. But what we have here in verse 6 at the beginning, don't worry about anything, don't be anxious about anything, is a permissive, imperative. Sometimes grammar is good for you. Who thinks grammar is good for you? No one. Sometimes, this is good for you. This grammar is good for you. Let me tell you why. There's an, there are imperative moods in the Bible that are really our commands. You know, don't do this, don't do that, do not. But Then there are permissive imperatives. It really means let yourself be or let yourself not be. We see them everywhere in the Bible. We use them all the time in common speech. Uh, Sometimes in the Bible, God comes and speaks directly to people in the narrative, or he speaks via an angelic messenger. And when God comes and speaks, or when the angelic messenger comes and speaks, what's one of the first things they often say? Don't be afraid. It's not as if being afraid is sinful at that point. There's permission. You don't have to be afraid. There's no need to feel the way you feel. Don't be afraid. It's imperative, but it's permissive. And that's what this is. So when Paul writes, don't be anxious about anything, don't worry about anything, he's saying, let yourself not be anxious about anything. Paul elsewhere in the Bible admits to his own anxieties. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 27 and 28. Paul's speaking of the hardships of his ministry, that he's gone without food, that he's been naked, that he's been in distress. And then he has this moment where he says, and I've I've had pressure, I've had cares, I've had deep anxieties for the churches. It's exactly the same word in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28 that it is here in Philippians 4.6. See, of course, anxiety can be wrong. But most of the time, our anxieties arise out of perfectly valid concerns. Concerns for your health, concern for your children for your family, for your marriage, for your career, for your church, for the sadness in the world. And it's for these anxieties that Paul offers two keys. Two keys for overcoming anxiety. Key number one, perspective. Key number one is perspective. So this passage in Philippians is really all about perspective. You can see this. Look down with me at chapter 4, verse 4 in Philippians, page 108244. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This isn't Paul sort of saying, Don't worry, be happy. No, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. He's not saying, be happy, please, please, please be happy. Now he's saying rejoice in the Lord. That is, rejoice with the perspective that you know what the Lord has done for you. Rejoice in knowing how he sees you. Rejoice in knowing your status in Christ. Rejoice knowing that your sins are forgiven. Rejoice knowing that you are going to his glorious eternal kingdom. Rejoice in the Lord Always. The point is that when we can rejoice when you have that perspective, when your perspective is in the Lord. And again in verse 5, he offers another instruction, but then he gives you the perspective for adopting it. Have a look at verse 5. 4 verse 5. Let your graciousness be known to everyone, the Lord is near. Now, what does that mean? Let your graciousness be known to everyone, the Lord is near. See, graciousness and gentleness, in other translations, means a gentle poise, the ability not to be grasping or harsh or pushy or mean. That's what graciousness here means. It's not just arbitrary pleasantries just to kind of get along with each other, just to be kind of nice, because he says, the Lord is near. Be gentle. The Lord is near. And if you know the Lord is near, then you can just let go of things. You can afford to be a little less pushy, a little less grasping. Now, there's debate as to whether it, like the, what the, the actual near kind of bit means. If it's, Is it temporally associated? That is, you know, that Jesus is coming back, his second coming is imminent, so the Lord is near. Or is it spatial, that he is with you by his Holy Spirit? Uh, there are very good arguments from the context for both, so I'm just going to go 50-50 on this one. But either way, the point's the same. You can be gentle because it's his business. He's in control. My point is that perspective makes all the difference. And verse 8 is all about perspective. Glance down with me at chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. See, what you and I fill our heads with determines our anxieties, doesn't it? What you constantly think about surely will determine the shape of your anxieties and perhaps the degree to which you feel that anxiety. So, for example, if you or I spend more time reading Delicious magazine and watching reruns of the last MasterChef series rather than filling our minds with other spiritual stuff, then, of course, our domestic situation will lack peace and perspective because I can't measure up and nor can you. They're amazing chefs. Our homes will be terrible. If you spend more time pondering on things of the past in the church rather than pondering on what God is going to do in the future, then, of course, change will lead you to have all sorts of stress and anxiety. If you spend more time dwelling on how you might climb the corporate ladder than you do thinking how rich we are in Christ Jesus already, then your career will be the source of your anxiety. And if you think about how you look in the mirror or how you come across on Facebook more than you do think about how you are viewed by your Saviour, your Father in Heaven, of course your self-esteem will be vulnerable. My point is, and I could go on multiplying examples in order to hit everyone in the room. My point is that what you fill your head with determines your anxieties. Perspective is everything. Well, actually, it's only 50% of everything because I've got a second point. Uh, Perspective, and the second key is prayer. Perspective, key one. Prayer, key two. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Verse 6 is so precious, isn't it? I preached this at 8 a.m. just moments ago. And for almost everyone around the table as we're having morning tea, saying, I love verse 6, I love verse 6. It's got me through so many things, got me through so many difficult times in my life. This is precious, verse 6. Paul says, don't worry about anything. In other words, do not let yourself be anxious or stressed about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The answer to our anxiety is to bring your request to God. Presumably this means that anything that concerns you, take it to God. It's an open invitation to bring every stressful, anxiety-provoking situation in your life to God. Are you stressed about your children? Stressed about your grandchildren? 2014. Your marriage, your health. Take it to God. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, says that prayer is engagement with the living God. And he uses four words for prayer. You can see them in verse 6 prayer, petition, Thanksgiving requests. I don't think we're supposed to, when we come to this verse, distinguish between prayer, petition, and requests. I think they're essentially meaning the same thing. Um, I think what Paul is saying here, you can pray about anything all the time, every day. You can pray about everything. So he bundles all these words together. Pray all the time about everything. I think that's what it means. But I think he does deliberately throw in the Thanksgiving word there. Prayer, petition, request, and do it with thanksgiving. Paul's point is that whenever you go to the Lord and you say to him, please help me with this, please, I need your help with stuff, always remember the stuff you already have. By all means, go to God with your concerns, but remember all that he has given you in relative health, all your friends, your family, but above all, give thanks, of course, for the great gift of his mercy and grace and hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. So we can go to the God of the universe who's in control of all things with our requests and our concerns with thanksgiving. But Paul's point is that prayer with thanksgiving is an antidote to anxiety. How? How? I think there are three ways that prayer assists or is an antidote to our anxiety. The first is this, and it's not rocket science. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. You're anxious about a certain circumstance. You pray about it. God changes the circumstance and you're no longer anxious about it anymore. I think we're expected to believe that. Let's not be fooled into believing that prayer is only useful for changing our inward perspective on things. No, that's Eastern philosophy. We go to God and ask him, God of the universe, would you please change something? And the Lord does change things in response to his people's prayers. And if we stop believing that, brothers and sisters, we've stopped believing in the biblical God. And you actually see this happening in Philippians itself, this letter. If you flick back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, which is on page 1080, Uh, Paul says a very interesting thing about prayer. Paul, the apostle, he's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's probably in Rome when he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, a church that he'd evangelized and planted in Acts chapter 16. You can read that later on. But in verse 19, he writes, I know that this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is a useful ally when you're in prison in Rome under persecution. But notice that. I know that this will lead to my deliverance through the prayers of the Philippians. In other words, Paul says, I'm pretty confident that God will hear your prayers, Philippians. I know you're praying for me. Here I am in jail. I'm pretty confident, though, that through your prayers, this is all going to work out pretty well. A paragraph later, though, he says, Well, I'm not 100% things are going to work out all that well. I could die. He concedes that the Lord may choose not to answer the prayers. Of the Philippians, but he's confident that God will answer. God can answer prayers. Let's not stop believing that simply because God is sovereign. Let's believe that because God is sovereign. Take all your concerns to Him your health, your marriage, your employment, hard relationships, our life here at church, your children and trust that God will answer. Change things for you. He can do it. But there is a second way that prayer can help us with our anxieties. And this is it. The second way is that sometimes God gives you strength that you never thought you could find. Sometimes God gives you strength that you never thought possible. Later in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul speaks about finding the secret to contentment. And I find it fascinating that that contentment flows directly out of a section on prayer. He says in verses 12 and 13, have a look down with me, 12 and 13. Paul says, I know how to live, how to have a little, I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. What fascinates me also is that earlier in the letter, he says that God answers prayers, that he may release him from prison in answer to their prayers. But now he says, sometimes I'm hungry, sometimes I'm thirsty, sometimes I'm full, sometimes I'm poor, sometimes I'm rich. And do you know what God does? He does something brilliant. He doesn't change the circumstances, but he gives Paul the strength that he never thought he could have. It gives us strength that we never thought possible. You see, sometimes God answers your prayers by not changing the circumstances, but giving you strength that you never thought possible. Take your stresses, your anxieties to God. Take him up on the offer and see if he makes good. And there is a third way how prayer is an antidote to our anxieties as God's people. And it's really the main section of this latter part of the letter. Maybe God won't change the circumstances. Maybe he won't actually give you the strength that you thought possible. But he promises to give you, he promises to give you something more precious than either of those things. He promises you his peaceful presence. Look at verse 7. We'll begin at verse 6 because your note verse 7 begins with an and. Verse 6, don't, be, don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer, petition, thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and as a result of the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a promise from God. The peace of God will transcend all other thoughts, all understanding, and that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Bring your request to God and his peace will be yours. Now, I've got to say, the reformed evangelical Sydney Anglican in me wants to interpret this as if it has nothing to do with a feeling or an emotion that you might get as you pray to God. It's entirely, if I put on my reformed Sydney Anglican hat, it's entirely that you have a fresh sense of peace with God through a new understanding of the doctrine of the atoning salvation of Jesus Christ and his triumphant resurrection from the grave and his ascension to the right hand of God and His coming back again. Don't you feel good? It's all about the gospel. Absolutely. Don't hear me say it's not about the gospel. Everything's about the gospel. But my inclination to interpret it that way, I think, just collapses if you think a little bit about it. I don't think Paul here is necessarily being theological. I think he's being, and I can't believe I'm about to say this publicly, I think he's being mystical. I think he's saying, take your request to God in prayer and his peaceful presence will guard you. The reason I think he's being a bit mystical is because of what verse 7 says. It's a peace that transcends all understanding. It can't be just limited to an understanding of the doctrine of the gospel. You know, I'm at peace with Jesus Christ through his atoning work on the cross because I can understand that by God's grace. Now, this peace, you'll experience it and say, I don't know where it came from. It's not through deep study of doctrine, but God has granted me his peace like I've never known it before. And verse 9 says, the God, the God of peace will be with you. Same thought, really. Let me try and illustrate this. When I was a young boy, I'm pretty young still, but when I was a much younger boy, I used to long for my dad to come home from work, particularly when I was in trouble with my mum. And I'd sit behind, behind, behind my bedroom door going, dad, dad, I want daddy, I want daddy, I want daddy. And I'd love it when I heard the car pull up, and I'd hear it the door open, and then he'd come. I wasn't waiting for my dad to come and find me behind the door to have a deep conversation with me and analyze my day and then provide solutions. No, what I wanted was, I wanted his touch. I wanted the deep timbre of his voice. I wanted the smell of eight-hour-old Old Spice deodorant. I wanted his presence. His presence became a shield for all my concerns of that day. It's a peace that is beyond understanding. I believe that's what Paul is saying here, friends. I love how he uses the idea of a protective barrier. God's peaceful presence will guard you, guard your heart, guard your mind. It's a word that comes from the military, uh, which you know, soldiers would form a garrison, they'd garrison together. I think Paul uses it specifically. Philippi, the people he was writing to, Philippi the city was guarded by a large Roman garrison. It's the same garrison that beat Paul up when he came to preach the gospel and threw him into prison. The peace of God will garrison your hearts and your minds, your inner self, your thoughts, your emotions. You'll have that unexplainable warm embrace of a loving father his peaceful presence and then at the end of verse 7 paul can't really help but get a little bit theological did you notice it this peace of god will guard your hearts and your minds what does he then say in christ jesus Paul can't help but remind us that we don't get this gift of God's peaceful presence because we deserve it. In our sinfulness, the nearness of God, in all his holiness and majesty and purity and glory, ought to fill us with absolute terror, unless you're in Christ. His blood shed for us, his death taking all, all of our sin and all of our judgment then in Christ, God's embrace is not something to be frightened of, but something to enjoy and long for and make the most of. The God of peace will be with us. So we have no claims on God, you and I. But in Christ Jesus, he's bound himself to us. That we can bring our anxieties to him, our Heavenly Father, and he will hear us. And you will come to us in peace. So this passage just gives us two keys to our anxieties, helping us live lives without the stresses of 2014. Firstly, perspective. What are you filling your head with? Because guaranteed it's shaping the things that you worry about. Fill your mind with what is good, praiseworthy, noble and true. Fill it with Jesus. And secondly, prayer. Prayer is no therapeutic way of detaching from the world. It's bringing your request to the God who made the world, who made you, and bringing to him all the passions you have, all the circumstances you have, and he will give you supernatural strength. He might change the circumstances. He may not, but he may give you supernatural strength. But you know what he will give you for sure? Peace. His peaceful presence. Will you make prayer a mark of 2014? Make 2014, this day, the beginning of a year of perspective and prayer. Decide with me to do it. Don't waste this great opportunity. Rejoice always. I say it again, rejoice. Bring before God your prayer, your requests, your petitions with thanksgiving and the peace of God which passes all understanding will be yours and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. And Father, you help us, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women of prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.